Oh, Jesus, our great rock, that we might build our lives upon you. Amen. In Isaiah chapter 1, we hear that God has given a vision to Isaiah, a reluctant prophet, but nonetheless, there he is. And I wouldn't want the job of a prophet because more often than not, uh, their job is to tell people what they don't want to hear, uh, but which all too often they know to be true. And so right out of the gate in Isaiah chapter 1, uh, God speaks through Isaiah and lets, him, lets the people of Judah know uh, that he is displeased with them, that his heart is grieved, that he is upset. Well, what is he upset about? Well, in Isaiah chapter 1 verse 2, he says, Hear, O heavens, and give ear, O earth, for the Lord has spoken. Children have I reared and brought up but they have rebelled against me. I think that that's probably the most common narrative about parenthood uh, that could ever be said. Uh, children have I reared and brought up, but they have rebelled against me. The very children of God, the people of Israel, have rebelled against the Lord God, and yet in their hearts, uh, they didn't love the Lord, but outwardly, they continued to try to conform because we read that they continue to sacrifice and to, to burn incense. They're going through the motions, but the Lord says, even your incense is an abomination in my nostrils. They were playing church. They were going through the motions. Uh, they thought that what they were doing would be efficacious like the pagan gods, that if we just did this, this will make God happy, and then we can go about uh, in our lives and do as we please and have to go back to the temple again and sacrifice and do whatever we need to do just so that we can keep things with God even. They've been very careful to maintain an outward spirituality. But as Paul tells us in 2 Timothy, they had the appearance of godliness but denied its very power. These sacrifices that they thought they were making were no sacrifices at all. In fact, in the Old Testament, uh, the sacrifices of bulls and goats and sheep and lambs were not enough to cover the sins of Israel. Uh, for if they were, you'd never have to go back. I often think to myself, if I'd gone up to sacrifice in the temple, how soon after sacrificing would I have to turn around and go back up to sacrifice for the next thing? I should probably just stay put. But what those sacrifices point to, they're signs, they're forms of the greater sacrifice in Jesus Christ. And so to think that just by going through the motions of doing these types of things establishes a relationship with God Almighty, God says you are sorely mistaken because that's not the kind of sacrifice I'm after. The kind of sacrifice that I'm after is a broken and contrite heart. Today, some of us fall into the same trap of those in Judah so long ago. We treat God a little bit like a spiritual slot machine. We think, well, I go to church, I read my Bible, I do all kinds of very good spiritual activities, but if you're doing those things in order to advance yourself and to try to get nearer to God, or to at least please God, and if you think that that's what God is doing, is keeping track of what's going on, a sort of Christian version of karma, you're wrong. 
When I was in high school, one of the most effective things I ever did and impressed upon me, my faith in Jesus, was for a class I had to keep a karma journal, which if you've never done, uh, even as a Christian minister, might be helpful. Uh, and so, but what ended up happening while I kept this karma journal for the week, what I was supposed to do is keep track of all the good things that I did and then keep track of all the bad things that I did. And the whole idea is that at the very end, you kind of get it even, uh, but as the week went on, the things that were bad, I didn't think were so bad. And then I started making everything I did a really good deed. Like I said, hello to my mother this morning, uh, whatever it would do to kind of keep those. And the columns, even in spite of that, never stayed even. In our prayer of thanksgiving in our communion service that we use seasonally, we say, Here we offer and present unto thee, O Lord, ourselves, our souls and bodies, to be a living sacrifice. The sacrifice is not the communion on the table, but we hear of what Jesus Christ has done for us in dying for us. And as a response to that, after coming forward and receiving, then we cry out, Here am I, O Lord, I am yours in response to his gracious offer. We are often too quick to offer ourselves up. when, in fact, Jesus has done it all. How does God respond to this empty religion? We see it in verse 18, 18. Come now, let us reason together, says the Lord. Though your sins are like scarlet, they shall be as white as snow. Though they are red like crimson, they shall become like wool. Even in the midst of condemnation where God is condemning the people of Judah, we have the promise of the gospel. The good news of Jesus Christ here in the prophet Isaiah. That you are trying your darndest spiritually to blot out all of your sins by your own actions and your own deeds and your own merit, but do you not know it's already been done for you? If, if you are to be made white as snow, if you are to be made white as wool, you need the blood of Jesus Christ to wash you. He does it all. He puts forward the good news in verse 18. One of the interesting things that I've run into in Birmingham is it's a very church city. I think that you're aware of that because here you are. Uh, And uh, one of the things that I've noticed is when I go to cocktail parties, about 45 minutes into it, people get very spiritual. And, uh, And they often know who I am and they'll come to me and they'll have these conversations. The best one was when a lady came up and was talking to Lauren and I, and she just mentioned uh, that uh, we something about the Advent. She said, oh, I go to the Advent. Where do you go to church? I can say that because she's not here. (laughs) Well, what I found is that actually spiritually speaking, people get this at a very deep level. They'll say, Jesus paid it all. He did it all for me. I'm I'm assured of my salvation in Jesus. Uh, I'm, I'm ready to go. And I know that he loves me. And yet what I find, even in my own life, is that there's often a dichotomy between the spiritual life and my everyday existence. Verse 16 tells us that there's a disconnect in the people of Judah from what they believe and how that belief is lived out in their lives. 
And so too with many of us, there's a disconnect between what we believe and how we live. Many of us are secure in Jesus, but we are terribly insecure when we get out into the world. You may not be offering up vain spiritual sacrifices to God, but how often are we offering up sacrifices to false gods? We know that God finds us beautiful, but does the world. We know that God reckons us as righteous, as faithful, but does the world. God understands our place in this world and our significance and our importance, but we worry, does the world know? Because I know I'm all right with God, now I'm going to turn my attention to living in the world and making sure that my sacrifices there earn merit in the eyes of others. And we will go to great lengths for this, to try to impress, to try to achieve, to try to look beautiful. I mean, even in the smallest of ways, I mentioned in class a couple weeks ago of my daughter who's seven years old and wants to do cheerleading, which I'm very glad for her to do. And someone mentioned to my wife, ooh, you know, you might want to get a private cheerleading coach. I thought, she's seven years old. I am her cheerleading coach, right? <laughs> right. But we, we buy into these crazy ideas about what it means to make it in the world and we don't realize, it. are you actually secure in Jesus? James Montgomery Boyce said that the great issue confronting the church will not any longer be the sufficiency of the Bible, but the sufficiency of Jesus. Is Jesus enough? Who are we trying to impress in our day-to-day -day lives? Just getting back from Germany uh, on this great Martin Luther trip, it was a, a great blur, and thank you for praying for us. We were kind of in the midst of it all over there, and uh, we had some members of the group that were a little bit anxious about the terrorism, and I assured them that they had been drinking so much beer and eating so much sausage that they were more likely to die of a heart attack uh, than they were a terrorist attack. But in between sites, I had a lot of time to think. And one of the things that struck me about Luther is he really didn't care what anybody thought. It was at the height of the Peasants' War that Luther decided to get married. Now, everybody was fine with Luther getting married, but even his closest compatriots said to him, this is not a good time for you to get married because a lot of people are blaming you for the Peasants' War. And it might seem insensitive for you to get married with so many people dying. But he did it anyway. He did whatever he wanted, in a sense. What if we were like that? What if we lived our lives as if we didn't care? I don't mean indifference, but a supreme confidence of who we are in Jesus Christ. How do we get that kind of confidence? How do we actually go boldly into the workplace, boldly into the baseball league, boldly into our neighborhoods, boldly into carpool? Luther said it right when he stood before the emperor and the electors at the Diet of Worms in 1521, he said, my conscience is captive to the word of God. 
When God says, come let us reason together, what he's saying is, you need to come near to me and stop this quibbling. Listen to me. Hear me. Luther was right when he said, the ears are the only organs of the Christian. In verses 19 and 20, the Lord says, if you are willing and obedient, you shall eat the good of the land. But if you refuse and rebel, you shall be eaten by the sword, for the mouth of the Lord has spoken. What is he saying? He's saying, if you want to live a life full of vain sacrifices and striving after emptiness, you will perish. And some of us this morning feel it all too well in our own lives because all of our life is a spiritual exercise. We feel it when we compare ourselves to one another. We feel it when we feel inadequate. A slow, steady death, all the while striving to live. But God says this, for the mouth of the Lord has spoken. It's an invitation for us to listen to him. Hear me. Listen to what I am saying in the midst of all the noise going on around you. Listen to this. Though your sins are like scarlet, they shall be as white as snow. Though they are red like crimson, they will become like wool. Full stop. The ears are your organ. Not your eyes. Your eyes are going to lead you astray. They're going to make you believe things that actually aren't true. And they're going to make you chase after things that you ought not to be running after. The Christian is a hearing agent, not a doing agent, because God alone has done it all. Now we all struggle with this. We can feel the old man and the new man inside all of us struggling. And that is why our liturgy speaks so clearly as the condition that we are in. We have a long declaration of forgiveness in our morning prayer service, but there's a reason for it. Those lines in the middle, he pardoneth and absolveth all those who truly repent and unfailingly believe his holy gospel. It is amazing news. But then Cranmer does something very interesting. He said, wherefore, let us beseech him to grant us true repentance. Wait a minute. You just said if we truly repent, we're forgiven. And now you're asking for God to grant us true repentance. Why? Because Cranmer and Isaiah and the Lord God know us. They know that our hearts cry out for forgiveness. And we're not who we want to be. And yet we know that we need the Lord God, the mercy of Jesus Christ, to turn our hearts so that our whole life is one of repentance. In verse 18, Isaiah proclaims to us the good news. He says, rather than continue in incomprehension, we are urged to consider our actual position before God, who you actually are, ransomed, Restored, forgiven, a child of God by grace. Nothing in my hand I bring, simply to the cross I cling. And the world says, you're not beautiful enough, you're not successful enough, you're not smart enough, you're not enough. You know what the Christian can say? 
I know. But Jesus is enough. Amen.